up if if you want to turn to Matthew 11 man what a great song huh no not a good song okay just me that's cool I liked it so whatever yeah one of my goals for 2016 for this church is to get us to like emote a little more like clap and smile there you go there you go man I'm gonna miss you uh we keep making jokes to make it not so sad. Okay. Thank you, John. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, a little more, a little more, uh, you know, be a little more vocal. Not so much with the singing. You guys sing wonderfully, but uh, you know, like sometimes it's just I know that sometimes you feel like like you want to clap or you want to, you know, I don't know, sing a little bit louder or you know, keep doing some stuff. And um, so I'm hoping that that continues to evolve in us. And so just so you know, it's always okay. Always okay. Don't ever feel strange about that, because we ne- we need to be good at celebrating, because God is doing some things and it's pretty awesome. Um, you are in Matthew 11. Let me let me tell you just a few things before I get uh, into the message a little bit. Um, you know, our community groups are starting again, uh, or they started back this week, and um, there's some information on a table in the back in the foyer little card like this that has all of our uh, group information on it and who to contact and all that kind of stuff. And there's this thing right here. And this is all of the important dates in terms of church calendar things for the next couple of months. And so if you want to pick one of those up as well, if you are a planner, uh, that will be uh, out there. Um, next Sunday is, uh, it's kind of, it's, I don't remember this happening before, but the Super Bowl and Mardi Gras are like the same weekend. And so we will be here at 1.30 next week instead of five. Um, it is not, uh, that's not a strange thing. We just know that the Super Bowl is kind of a big cultural thing, and we live in America, and you just, there are times when you just kind of roll with that. And uh, a lot of you do Super Bowl parties, and you have people over, and maybe even it's like a, a chance to like have your neighbors into your home and some of those kinds of things or whatever. So uh, we used to just have church Super Bowl night because most of us you know, just didn't really care until the Saints made it to Super Bowl, and we cared a lot. We've not cared a whole lot since then, but it sort of changed the rhythm and uh, stuff like that. So I'll send an email out this week about that, but uh, just kind of know that that's what's happening. So that's next weekend. The following weekend is our like our official birthday weekend where we turn 10. Um, so the reunion was just, we needed to do that during a holiday weekend. And so the 10th birthday is actually the 12th of February. And uh, that Sunday night we'll have a birthday party, and that's the weekend when we actually change the name of the church officially. And uh, but we won't be going by that name probably for a little bit longer. So it kind of seems like it's dragging out, but we're just trying to get all our ducks in a row. So there's some like uh, you know stuff when you're when you are a constituted uh, like nonprofit, you know those kind of things. There's certain steps you have to take within your decision-making structure, and so that'll be the weekend when that stuff officially happens. And then we'll have kind of like a, like a little bit down the road. This is our last Sunday is the ring, and our first Sunday is Living Hope Fellowship. So, um, so that's kind of coming up, and it's and it's an exciting time. We're praying through the thirty days of prayer right now. We're we're kind of crossing into the last third of our time together, um, and in and toward the end of the service tonight, uh, John's going to come and uh, lead us through a time of prayer for that. Um, 
But I really want tonight to, uh, to, to bring something in that, um, that God, I think, kind of started to like, stir up a little bit last week. And um, What is that? It sounds beautiful. It's like a soundtrack happening over here. Is it a phone? <laughs> I just I couldn't let it go. It was it was nice. Um, so the so last week last week I sort of brought in something that I felt like God was was speaking deeply to me about um, really just a, for our church not not a, a corrective word but more of a word of caution um, in terms of of being so focused on like right now in this moment that it's easy to lose sight of the future. And how those two things fit together. How, what, how the things that we're going through right now, either personally or maybe as a family, as a community group, as a community of faith, um, and all those different kinds of ways, the things we're in now are about now. God meets us now, but he's also always getting us ready for something that's ahead. And how there are times when, uh, much like the Israelites, they, they didn't have the faith to go down the... like marched through the Philistine territory, and so God kind of said, hey, let me pull you off to the side, let me build your faith, and then I'll march you through there when you're ready. And how God's kind of always doing that with us. He's always, like, he's assessing, and he knows exactly who we are and what we need. And if you aren't ready for something that's ahead, he'll lead you, he'll bring you off to the side, and he'll, he'll develop that in you, he'll develop that in us as a church, and then put you back on track, you know, taking you in that direction. And so, it was just sort of a, a, um, a word that I felt like God had for us corporately that um, to not get so like focused on the daily grind of our lives uh, as a church and then all the way down to uh, as individuals that we lose sight of the fact that, that everything right now just totally ties into the future. It's building on the past, getting us ready for something that's ahead. And, and w- within there, toward the end, I talked about this idea of vision. And even like as, when I got to that point when, like in the sermon, I kind of stopped myself. And I almost just like stopped right there and was like, all right, well, that's it. We're done for tonight. I'll pick, this, I'll pick up here next week. But I just kind of kept, kept going on through it and circled back around to it because I felt like there was some more meat in there for us tonight. So that's, what, that's where we're headed tonight is this idea of vision and what that really means and what it doesn't mean. It's such a... Such a buzzy kind of word, you know. Um, and the, here's just sort of a general thing of what I'm talking about. Um, you have to know. You have to know what you're going for. That's the case in 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 a, in every area of life. And and I realize there's always a certain degree of improvisation that's happening. You know, that you're just kind of winging it, kind of figuring out as you go and stuff like that. And and that's fine. You're kind of meandering, but you you know the general like goal that you're like going for, right? Um, you have to have that vision intact in order to, to not just wander aimlessly through your life. It probably is, is a factor in whatever you do for a living. It's a factor with, with school. It's a factor with your family. It's a factor with marriage. It's a factor with friendships. It's a factor with your own growth in Christ. Everything that we really have to know where we're headed. Otherwise, you just kind of get lost. Um, and that's not how we were intended to live. Certainly there are, there's some like, beauty in having those times when you're just like, I'm just going to figure it out as I go. I think that's a very freeing thing uh, sometimes. Uh, but not when you're talking about the really, really like, eternally crucial things in your life. You have to have vision. You have to know what the end is going to be so that you know what you're going for. That every step gets you closer to, to that end. 
Um, it's so easy to lose sight of it, and I think that the 30 days of prayer, looking back uh, over, I think this is our 16th one to do, every single time we do it, for those who are really like all hands in the middle, like I'm going for it, it does have a way of realigning you. You know, it reminds you of what's important. It kind of recasts the vision over and over and over again where God's like, this is what I want my church to be. This is who I have made you to be. This is who I'm making you into. Um, it has that ability to do that. I think the reunion was supposed to do that for us a little bit. I think changing the name is also supposed to do that. I think that God right now with our church is, is kind of like um, just putting that vision right front and center again and kind of like clearing up the lens a little bit to where it comes into focus to remind us like where we are headed because our world around us is like filled with just chaos and craziness and just that you just kind of never know what's going to happen and where things are going and yet here is this loving God of ours that says look just keep your eyes on me it'll be fine just keep your eyes on me and he's put us all together so that we can keep reminding each other of that he says, gather together, sing, pray, study the scriptures, encourage one another, then scatter back out and go your, live your lives. Um, but there's more than just the Sunday refocusing that happens. I think this idea of vision is very important to where he has us right now. So, so you guys went to Matthew 11. I want you just to stay there, but I want to show you some other verses uh, as well. Because when it comes to vision, there's really, there's really one vision. There's just one vision. And every other vision falls under that umbrella, you know. So whatever it is for, for work or family or friendships or your own growth, everything comes underneath this one vision that Jesus brings to the table. So this week I got to go to, um, Megan Falk is a, a Bible teacher at Parkview Baptist, and I got to go talk to some of her classes about the, like, the gospel and the kingdom and some of those kinds of ideas. And, and uh I don't, you know, for those of you who are, who are teachers, uh, I've had forgotten what it's like to teach the same thing over and over and over again in like a seven-hour span, you know. Um, and one thing, I, so, I, so kudos to you for the energy that you have to put into doing that and trying to make it as interesting even after like the fifth time when you can't even remember what you've said, you know. Uh, and, but also within that, every single time that I talk about the kingdom of God, that, that I talk about what, what Jesus really came to do, it's like I, I, I keep learning things as, like, as I'm talking, you know. And the kingdom of God is one of those things that, that has, God has brought in front of us as a church for a number of years, and it's so easy to be like, uh, I know what that is, you know. I know what that is. But maybe thinking of the kingdom in terms of vision, maybe that's helpful somehow. Because Jesus, whenever it was time for his public ministry to start, um, you don't need to turn to it, but Matthew four seventeen, uh, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That this is, this is the summary statement for his preaching ministry on the earth. Um, that everywhere he went, he was always talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And this idea of repentance... Um, when I hear the word repent, I think of uh, like Free Speech Alley or like the French Quarter or somewhere where you go and there are some people there and that's their chosen method of evangelism is screaming at you, you know, with these big signs that say repent, you know, and you're going to hell and you're this and you're that, you know, whatever. And so repent kind of has a harshness to it. Like I feel like it's like it would be like an all caps and bold, you know, or something like that. Like he's yelling, but maybe repent is not that, you know. 
Maybe, maybe we're reading into it. Maybe we're reading some tone into it. That the word repent means to, to turn your mind, like to change your pattern of thinking. He's really saying you don't have to think and exist the way that you have grown up thinking and existing. The world around you has taught you to think and act a certain way. Your actions coming from your thoughts. And, and so you think the world works a certain way. That's why you are the way that you are. And Jesus comes and he says, I am inviting you into a whole new way of life. That Jesus is bringing a new vision for what life is, like, could be and should be and was supposed to be the whole time. And so when he says repent, like, so change the way that you're thinking, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is not this future idea that's like, oh, the kingdom is the same thing as saying, like, oh, like, heaven and the afterlife. I mean, there is some overlap there, but heaven, like, the kingdom is not future. The kingdom is here, now, presently. So when Jesus is standing in front of a bunch of people and says, hey, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near, he's, in a sense, he's talking like proximity, He's like, hey, I'm like four feet in front of you, and I'm saying the kingdom is near. Like the four, kingdom is four feet away from you right now. That he has come to bring this to us, to the people he was preaching to. That everywhere he went, that was a part of what he was telling everyone. Is like, look, you don't have to live this way anymore. And so he's casting a new vision for life. He's casting the only vision that really matters. It's the only one that is important. Who cares about all the other visions that are out there when God himself comes to you and says, hey, here's what, here's what I had in mind when I made you. Here's what sin broke and messed up in your life, and here's, here's how I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing and I'm able and I'm going to like, remedy this. So then in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which we're not going to read, and I'm not going like, to get into it uh, in, in terms of, of reading it, but the Sermon on the Mount is not just the best sermon ever preached. I mean, it is, but it's not just that. Sermon on the Mount is a vision casting. It's, it's Jesus taking that statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's ex, like expounding upon that. He's explaining what he means. He's casting a vision. He's getting really specific about what, what it means that the kingdom has come to us, what being invited into a new way of life looks like. And here, let me just give you a couple of, like, these are just my own personal, like, summary ideas on the kingdom. Um, so, like, here's the vision that he's casting. Um, that the kingdom of God is inclusive. That no one is left out of the kingdom. The kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world, is, is about the haves and the have-nots. And you're included based on certain things, and you're excluded based on other things. And he says, not, it's not how the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom, everyone is included. In the kingdom, uh, like, anger can now lead to reconciliation instead of murder says, hey, how about a vision for your life where whenever you're angry, your solution is reconciliation and not to like, like this, at least to this, at least to this, at least to you murdering someone, you know? Um, a vision that says you can forgive anything because you've been forgiven of like everything that you've ever done. Anything that happens to you is forgivable because he has forgiven you and so you can forgive other people. He says, what a, what a beautiful vision for a life that is just never filled with bitterness and revenge. It's just one where you just pass on that forgiveness. That's a vision for your life. Where generosity can be your norm because you understand that everything's God's. And so you just you share and you give and you meet the needs around you. That, that, that generosity is, can be the world we live in and not one of hoarding and like scarcity and 
uh, all that kind of stuff, that we can be like generous people, that we can love our enemies instead of hating them, that you can, you can stop performing all the time. You don't have to, like, you, don't, you just don't have to impress anyone anymore. What a beautiful vision, you know? It's like, it, those, those, it doesn't really matter. Because your father sees you, your father knows you. His opinion is the only one that matters. And so stop trying to impress everybody all the time. Just, just be yourself. And let your father love you. That's a vision for your life. He's casting that out there. He's saying you can know God like a child knows their father. You can, you can pray to God. You can communicate with the creator of the universe just as effortlessly as a child talks to their own father. That can be your reality. That's the vision for your life. That you have like fatherly access to the God of the universe because you are his child. A vision that says you don't have to fight and claw your way through life to just accumulate a bunch of treasures that are going to all go away when you die or be destroyed or whatever. That you can invest your life in things that will literally matter for eternity. Hmm. You don't have to live in a life of, of anxiousness and, and worry, but you can live in complete trust. You don't have to fend for yourself anymore because your father will care for you. You can trade judgment for compassion you can ask freely of your father over and over and over again, and he won't sick of you. He won't get sick of you because he just kind of loves your persistence. You can ask for whatever, and you know that he will not uh, give you anything but goodness, ever, ever, ever. You can always tell the truth. You can live a life of stability, even in the world around us. He's casting this vision through this sermon. He goes through through these, these statements where he's like, look, you've been told this, but I'm here to tell you this. You've been taught this way. You've been trained to think and act this way, but I'm here to tell you that there's a whole new thing available to you. I'm here to invite you into something that's bigger, and it's real, and it's not going anywhere, and it's never going to change. And look at in Matthew 11, where you uh, turned a few minutes ago. It's one of those passages that we circle back to a lot. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who's, who's laboring and heavy laden? Well, uh, our, the people that he's talking to here, the people he's addressing, are folks who are completely like, built into this world where they just have to keep the rules all the time. And it's exhausting. He's like, hey, are you tired from just always having to like like keep the rules and this and then you're guilty because you feel guilty because you broke them and you're this and this and this. Are you trying to never know where you stand? Are you tired and just worn out from the world around you? He says, "Well, I'm here to give you rest from that weariness." Verse 29: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I've had that that big wooden yoke up here before, where Jesus is saying, "Come in, come into this." Uh, relationship with me, I'm going to bind us together, like two animals in a, in a yoke that are pulling a, um, a plow. I'm going to bind us together, and I want you to learn from me. Just learn. So he's not telling you, hey, you need to live this way. Hey, here's a vision for your life that you can't really obtain or whatever, but like, go for it. 
He's saying, hey, this vision that I've, that I've cast through, through the kingdom coming near and through the Sermon on the Mount and through all these teachings, he's like, it's not only this beautiful teaching, but I'm going like, to bind myself to you and I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to make it real for you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then what does he say? Uh, what does he say? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, "Hey, I'm going to be. I'm going to deal gently with you. Like you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to beat you into submission. Um, I'm deal gently with you. But the yoke is an instrument of work, and so it's going to be work. But it's going to be the kind of work that's that's a relationship. And you know what's going to happen to your soul? Your soul is just going to calm down, and your soul is going to morph." And it's going to rest, and your soul is going to become what I always wanted it to be. And your life is going to, is going to morph and become one that you're like more and more generous, more and more forgiving, more and more faithful, more and more humble, more and more and more towards the vision that he's cast for us and the life that he made for us to live. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. You know why his burden is light? Because he's already paid for the sin that kept us immersed in the wrong kingdom. He's already handled it. The burden that we carry when we're trying to do it on our own, when we're trying to, we're trying to like muscle, muscle everything up that we have inside of us and like keep pushing through and we're striving in our own stuff. That burden that's there, he's like, no, that's the wrong burden. He's carried it for us already. He's taken care of that. He died for those sins. And so the yoke that he invites us into is to put down one of self-reliance and self-governance and one that is like patterned after the world around us that, that doesn't know who God is and what he has done. So let's take on a new yoke. Let me invite you into this life. I'm going to bind myself to you and I'm going to teach you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so this vision that he's casting through his preaching, and then he walks around and he, he, um, he doesn't just like do a bunch of sermons. He takes care of people. He heals people. He corrects people. He disciples the twelve. He disciples the three a little bit differently. He disciples the one differently there. He has all these followers. He does all this without sinning, you know. And the whole time... As he is, is headed toward the cross, he's also casting and recasting and recasting, clarifying this vision for our lives. The whole time saying, look, this, is, this world around us, that's not, that's not what was intended. Sin broke all that, and I'm here to fix it. I'm bringing the kingdom near, and I'm inviting you into it. Because verse 28 starts with him saying, come to me. That repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is not an indictment. It's not an accusation. His finger's not pointing at you like mine is. He's saying, come, come with me. Come to me. It's an invitation. Saying your, your lives have the wrong vision. Your, wrong, your lives have the wrong goal. You're, you're completely born into the wrong system. Let me invite you into exactly how I made you to be. When you start to read the Sermon on the Mount, you see that generosity and that care and that compassion and um, how, how to deal with anger and how to deal with lust and how to deal with, with your enemies coming against you and, and reconciliation and all these kinds of things. And every time you read it, you just have this sense of like, yes, I want that right there. 
And then Jesus goes in, into heaven, and the Spirit comes and fills up the disciples, and then um, it just kind of the gospel just kind of erupts, and, and, and there are all these people, and they're living this stuff out, and we read in the book of Acts, and you read that stuff about how they were generous, and they sold their possessions in order to meet the needs of, of everyone around them, and they faithfully met together to pray, and they were devoted to one another, and to the scriptures, and to the cross, and to all these things, and you, you see that New Testament church, and you're like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Then even you watch, the, you watch the gospel spread, and you know what happens the, the rest of the New Testament? That purity begins to really struggle. I think we kind of have a way of, of we admire that, like the very, very beginnings, you know, Acts 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and 6, and we look at that, we're like, yes, that's what we want. But you read the rest of the New Testament, and like, it was messed up stuff going on. And there were times when the churches that Paul went to and started, uh, when they would lose sight of what was important. And it became about religion, or it came, became about society, or it became about um, the cities that they were in, and the cultural stuff, or it became about the persecution, or it became about the wrong things. And so Paul is constantly telling him, no, 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 this is the vision. This is the vision. This is how you handle it. Don't, don't lose sight of what Christ has done. Don't lose sight of what he's called to. He's just constantly doing that. And at the very end of the Bible, the letters to the seven churches, that's what Jesus is saying almost every single time. Just look at me. Look at the vision again. Don't forget what I've called you to. He's like, I walk among you and I see these things and I'm just calling you back to myself and it is eternally important that this happen. And so there's this vision that happens and there's probably a part of you right now just hearing my very mediocre synopsis of all those things where you're like, yeah, no, I want that. I want that vision. I want to be that. I want my friendships to look like that. I want my family to look like that. I want my marriage to look like that. I want my my work environment to look like that. I want um, everything, everywhere, all the time to look exactly like Jesus intended. I want to take him up on his invitation, and I'm gonna, I want to be in that yoke. I want to bring other people into that yoke, and whatever it takes, that's where we're going. It's going to be amazing. Let's go. Let's get it done. And then, like, Monday comes, you know? You're like, oh, oh, back to it, right? I know that I'm... I'm, I'm that way myself, so, you know, believe me, um, don't, get, don't get the idea that because I work at a church that every day is Sunday, because it ain't. <laughs> the grind happens, and you know what happens is sometimes the vision just kind of fades. There comes a point when, when the vision is clear, and you're like, man, whatever, whatever the cost, it is worth it. And then when we get distracted or the vision gets blurry, the cost seems to maybe not be worth it sometimes. The life in that yoke with him just doesn't seem quite as appealing. It, the, it seems not very fruitful, you know. It's not, it's not fast enough. It's inefficient. It's, it doesn't fit into my life right now, you know. Those kinds of things. And then when the vision is blurry or misplaced, you end up kind of stumbling through your life, striving for the wrong things. And so... If Jesus is the vision, Jesus is the goal, then keeping that crystal clear is so important to us. It's just absolutely, absolutely important. Maybe that's why Jesus went around and pretty much preached the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe he just knew, hey, I've got to keep painting this picture because it's so different from the world around us. I'm just going to keep painting it and keep painting it and keep painting it. And now here we are, all these years later, and so in thinking about vision, um, I, 
I have an illustration that may or may not make sense. So, you know, what else is new, right? So, so let's say that you want to play, let's say that you get to the point where you're like, I really want to play the cello, you know? And not like in the, you know, the third grade when most people start playing the cello, you know? I'm talking about like as an adult, you just get like this wild hair, you're like, cello, that's my new deal, it's going to happen. And so let's say that you, um, you Google that, like how to play the cello, or some website comes up and it's like, here's, your, here's, your, here's a couple things you need to do. One thing you need to do is you need to get a cello, right? And you can't, get, you can't go to like a like pawn shop cello or whatever. You have to get a like legit cello, because even the best cellist in the world can't play the one that you got at a pawn shop and make it sound awesome. So you got to get a cello. You got you to understand, like, you got to know, like, the parts of the cello. You know, you got you to gotta understand the bow. You got to understand, like, uh, rosin, you know, on the bow and how that works. You got to understand the strings and how they're tuned and what the bridge is and where the sound comes out and, and all those kind of things. You have to know, like, how to hold it and how to sit, you know, and how to do all those things. And um, you have to kind of get all that, all the logistics together. Then you have to learn how to read music, you know. Which is like the most complicated language ever. Um, and so you have to, like, that has to be a part of what you do. And so you have to start somewhere with, like, learning what a quarter note is or a half note or a whole note and learning what the, the treble clef and the bass clef and those kind of things and how all those things work and um, what the notes are, but then also what all the little dots and squiggles mean and that kind of stuff. And rhythms. Oh, yeah, you got to learn rhythms because that's important too. And so you're learning all those, like, mechanics of reading music and then you have to, like, string it together. A little bit. So there's like music, and then there's like beautiful music. So you have to learn how to make like the music part, you know, beautiful, which is kind of a challenge. And so you're you're having to figure all that stuff out. Then you have to put the the physical like act of playing the cello with what you're seeing on the page. So you've learned how to like make the sounds and stuff like that and whatever. But now you're having to like read the music and play this stuff, and you're having to get your ear ready to know if. Is what I'm hearing the same as what I'm doing physically playing the cello and what I'm seeing in front of me? Are those three things all syncing up? Because a lot of times they don't. <laughs> and so you have to know when you're on the right track and when you're not on the right track. And then you have to make that beautiful. Then you kind of have to get with other people who are also doing the same thing. Because playing the cello, you, you can sit by yourself on a stage and play the cello and it's beautiful. But a part of it is learning to play with other people. And So you have to get other people who are also willing to do all those things. And you have to start at the very, very basic beginning of that process. And every day, you have to take a step toward that. Every single day, from the most basic level, all the way to like, yo-yo ma, that's you. And you have to be willing to give it everything that you have. And so you're like, okay. Well, new plan, (laughs) No longer want to play the cello. But you're like, well, but I really want to play the cello. So if you came to me and you were to say that, and you were to say, hey, what would it take? I'd probably tell you a bunch of that kind of stuff. And then I would probably say, I want you to go listen. I want you to go listen to a recording. Because probably after explaining all that stuff, it's probably not quite as appealing. It's more of just a dream. But what if I said, why don't you go listen to this recording? Um, and then come talk to me afterwards, okay? So we're going to actually listen to a recording, now, um, and it's like four minutes long, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life, and I really want you, I want you to pretend for a second that you're an aspiring adult cellist, 
And then you have re- you've Googled it, and you've like gone to the pawn shop, and you've priced them, and you're like, okay, no, not those. And you've got on Amazon, you got one coming from Amazon, and you're getting ready, and you are going to play the cello, and you've been told to go listen to this thing. And I want you to understand what vision casting is like. Okay, so I want you to listen to this. And you might want to close your eyes and try not to cry. All right.
So, uh, do you still want to play the cello? Of course you do. Of course you do. Because now, because you know, you're like, okay, that's the vision right there. That's the vision. Yo-Yo Ma, that's the vision. So then I would say, okay, so let's talk about the parts of a cello. Because you know? with the vision still ringing in your ears, you're like, okay, if, if this gets me closer to that, and that's what I'm going for, then it's worth it. Now, if when it comes to Jesus, though, let me, let me take the illustration one step further. What if it was like, okay, the guy that taught Yo-Yo Ma will teach you. You're like, oh, okay. So not some hack. The guy that taught Yo-Yo Ma, or the lady, you know, whatever, who taught Yo-Yo Ma will come and teach you. Like, whoa, okay. And Yo-Yo himself will also teach you. So the guy that was playing the cello part in that trio will come and teach you. And the guy that taught him to be that good will teach you. Like, oh, the deal keeps getting sweeter, right? And then let's pretend that this would be possible. And they're going to, like, together, they're going to download into you the talent. Because Yo-Yo, he's got something other people don't have, all right? That's why he's Yo-Yo Ma and none of us are, right? He's going to download that talent into you as well. However, you still have to start with what are the parts of a cello. You can't jump right to Yo-Yo Ma's status. You have to work there. But his teacher will teach you, he will teach you, and they will download into you the talent to make it happen. And you just have to, you just got to put the time in. You got to get into the yoke with those guys and learn from them. But that is where, that is what your life can look like. You can play that piece of music that beautifully. And actually, to take the gospel, like, plug the gospel into it, Jesus actually said we would do greater things than him. So really it would be like, you will be better than that dude. You will surpass, surpass Yo-Yo Ma on your accomplishments. So, these are the parts of the cello. And so what vision casting means, not only is that one time thing, but that means that every time you sit down to play the cello, you listen to that. And you realign, you focus on the vision, you're like, okay, what I'm about to do is getting me closer to that. And there is the power at work within me to make it happen, and so let's go. This is a part of it. So with Jesus and the kingdom, I hope that the illustration is making sense. Jesus has cast this vision, and you know how it's continually recast in front of us? Through the Bible, (laughs) and through prayer, and through our lives with one another in community. So he says, don't, don't forsake gathering together. You have to do that. You know why? Because when you do, the vision is focused and put in front of you again. That's why Sundays are important and community groups are important. That's why your time with friends and family and those kind of things, like having like a Jesus element to them is so important because you're, you're just reminding each other. Plus you have a Bible of your own and you have a prayer closet, so to speak, that you can go into. And so you have... Those three things working together over and over and over again, where you're constantly listening to Yo-Yo Ma over and over and over again. What that means is that once you know what the vision is, then you approach the next step very differently. 
And so if the first thing you do in the mornings is like the Jesus version of listening to that and refocusing your vision, that, wouldn't that realign your day? Wouldn't that change some things? If you prayed on the way to school or to work, like wouldn't that change your presence there? If you prayed on the way to church, wouldn't that change how you came in here? You know, those kind of things. It's just, it's just keep that vision crisp and clear in front of us. He's given us the ability to do that through the Word and through prayer and through community and the fact that His Spirit, we can't get the yo-yo mod, like DNA in us, but we can get Him and we have Him. And He's producing that in us together. So when it comes to mission and we think about those who don't know yet and the hospitality of the kingdom, those are things He's forming in us. When you think about your marriage uh, Christ in the church, like that's the vision for what he's called you to do. Your community group, you read that stuff in Acts, and you're like, that's what we're trying to do together And as a church family. When you look at your own life, and you're like, yes, the kingdom of God, Christ being formed in me, that's what we're going for. He just keeps it in front of us if we'll just let him and listen to him. And so I don't know how it fits into your life. I don't know if the vision is crystal clear for you, or if you've lost sight of it, or how that works into it, but... Um, He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And a part of that is being able to keep that vision right in front of us and right crystal clear and focused. We have our own version of listening to that or recording like that to recenter us and focus us. And it doesn't just have to be here. It's all the time. So I think when Jesus says, come to me, to see that as an invitation, he's inviting you and he's casting a vision for a whole new life. He's begun it. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, don't leave here. Don't leave here not a Christian. No reason. If you want to talk about that, we would love, like all of us would love to stay and talk to you about that. But if you are a believer, he has invited you into that, and that's where he's going. And I hope and pray that maybe this idea of vision, maybe that's why he has it for us tonight, is to be able to be, just remind ourselves, what are we going for? What's the end? What's the goal? So that the grind of life, it gets us, it gets us there. And so we're going to sing, and then John's going to come and lead us in a prayer time. We'll sing a little bit more to close out. But um, I hope that you will really consider how this fits into your life um, as I do the same. Let's stand together. And maybe just think for a second. In terms of, if we just make this incredible, just a personal thing, in terms of your walk with the Lord, your relationship with God, Christ being formed in you, what do you think He wants to say to you in terms of the vision that you are keeping in front of you? Maybe He wants to say something to you, remind you of something, call you to something. Have something kind of come alive in you. God, I pray that you would, um, just that you would meet each individual here exactly where we are in this. Maybe it's in these moments, maybe it's later tonight, maybe it's tomorrow, where, where there's some clarity, but what a gift you have given us to have the scriptures, to have prayer being a possibility for us now, to have a community to to live life within. Just constant ways to keep the vision crisp and clear and right in front of us. 
We thank you for your grace and how it shows up in all those ways. And Lord, if you're calling for um, if you're calling for repentance, if you're calling for confession, if you're calling for um, a renewed pursuit of spiritual disciplines or um, just whatever it is, I pray that you just be real clear with each of us in the way that only you can do. And whether it's through the songs or the scriptures or Yo-Yo Ma's cello playing, God, would you just speak deeply to us? Because none of us want to wander aimlessly. None of us do. We want to know what we're, what we're going toward, what we're working for. For those who've kind of lost their bearings, pray that this would be what you have in mind, a way to maybe put them back on track. So as we sing and then as we pray and then sing some more, pray that these last few moments together will be everything that you have in mind.